read this one verse of Scripture. If you read the verses that precede this 10th verse, it's the story of a wee little man. We used to call him in Sunday school. His name was Zacchaeus, or Zacchaeus, however you want to say that. And heard Jesus was coming one day, and he was too short to see. So he climbed up a sycamore traffic like breaking out in song. I know, I'm not going to sing it. You remember we used to sing that in Sunday school? Remember those days? We'd put the flannel graph board up and put Zacchaeus on the flannel graph board, wouldn't we? And they'd give you some cookies and a glass of tang, and boy, we'd have church, wouldn't we? I always wondered why they always gave you the cheap cookies. You know, the thousand cookies for a dollar you get can't even give you the real thing. <clears throat> I was with the kids yesterday. They had a the student ministry had a big lake day at Clater Lake, and I, I went and hung out, and uh, I tubed for the first time in my life, and I only rode one time, and it's probably good because I couldn't hardly move when I got. I didn't realize you had to hang on so tight, and I looked at Wayne Spraker pulling the boat, and I went like this, which meant you need to stop because I'm about to I'm about to die. Please just stop. Anyway, so we were there and we were having lunch, and somebody broke out them thousand cookies for a dollar, brother Turpin. I mean, I brought, I brought double stuffed Oreos for mine, but they had the thousand cookies for a dollar. And that just, I was joking with somebody about the flannel graph board and the cup of tang, and well, we just have some, have some church. That, that's one of these stories right here. He wanted to see Jesus, but he was too short. So nobody did. He climbed a tree, a sycamore tree. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, get down from that tree. I'm going to go to your house. Now keep in mind, Zacchaeus was a dishonest tax collector, he was a sinner. He was a heathen, but he found the Lord that day. Jesus said, salvation has come to this man's house today. And then he concludes verse, that story. The Bible concludes that, that scene for us by Jesus saying this in verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, I've read that verse many times, and this week it dawned on me that part was lost. That's past tense. Once Jesus finds us, we're not lost anymore. We're found. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I've got to preach this today. It's been stirring and burning in my soul all week long. As a matter of fact, before we even got here last week, it was been burning in my heart. I want to talk on, preach on this thought because I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, a lot of preachers today. These churches, they, have, they call them talks. I'm not going to have a talk. I'm going to preach today. Is that all right? I want to preach on this thought. Lost. More than a statistic. Lost. Let me pray. I'll let you be seated. Father, thank you for the word today. I sense your spirit here today, Lord, compelling and drawing people. I sense you strongly. Now, Father, however, however far you want me to get into this, God, I'll do that. And when you want me to come to a stopping point, Holy Spirit, you quicken my heart and I will stop immediately and open these altars so that we can come together and we can pray. Lord, I want the Holy Spirit today to do His work. I believe that there is a, I've asked there to be a conviction and a convincing and a drawing today of maybe some man, some woman, maybe more than one person that's here that doesn't have a relationship with you that's lost. I want you to use the Word to do the work. And God will worship you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. Bless you today. You can be seated. Pastor Tony, thank you.
You know, with the advancement of modern technology nowadays, it would be very difficult for us to be traveling somewhere in a car and get lost. Most phones are now equipped and outfitted with a GPS, a global positioning system. Now, if your phone is not smart enough to have one of those, and if you still, like my 71-year-old father, still carry a cough, cough, a flip phone, and they'll watch later today, so I just got one in on him. You can always resort to MapQuest, or you can go old school like Kelly's dad, and he still travels with an atlas to get from place to place. Because here's, here's the truth. Heading in the right direction and arriving at the proper destination, that's, that's very important. Now, I, I'm a firm believer that anytime you see something in the physical, you can always make a comparison in the spiritual and vice versa. And being lost is not just something that can happen to us physically. I'm, I can be occasionally a little directionally challenged, so that's why I have to use my smartphone sometimes to get me where I need to be. And I have been known to even take a wrong turn when she doesn't tell me quick enough where to turn. But getting lost is not just a physical issue. We can also be lost spiritually. And here's the difference in being lost spiritually and lost physically. The, the ramifications and the consequences of being lost spiritually are far worse than being lost in a vehicle trying to get somewhere. You know, we, we live in a world that is looking for direction. They're searching for direction. I read a statistic sometime back that said that 75% of America reads their horoscopes on a daily basis from magazines or newspapers. Here's, the, here's the, the other part of that that's even worse. A fourth of them actually believe what they read in their horoscope. That's a little concerning to me. Do you know why that uh, psychics and so-called fortune tellers and palm readers, you know why they stay in business? Because people are looking for direction. They, they are somewhat lost. Now, lost is the word that we use to describe someone who does not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The word lost in this context that I just read to you means to be away from. It means to bring to ruin, to perish. It speaks of being destroyed or or destruction. Not only does it give us the definition of what it means to be spiritually lost, but it it reveals to us the, the horrible ramifications of what happens when we stay in a lost state and we don't receive Christ into our lives. Because, see, here's the truth, that a life that is lived without Christ will lead to ruin. I'm going to need some people to help me preach a little bit today. A life that is lived without Christ 
will lead to spiritual death. We will perish if we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Lost people are more than a statistic. They're more than just a number, but they are a, they're a soul that matters to God. And being lost is a problem in our world today, spiritually. Do you realize there are hundreds of thousands of millions of lost people that occupy this planet? Let me give you some staggering statistics. They tell us that every day around the world that 250,000 people die. Statistics also tell us that of those 250,000 people, that only one-fourth of them have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you do the math, a fourth of 250,000 is 62,500. So if you subtract the 62,500 that have a relationship with Christ, that leaves you 187,500 people that don't know the Lord. Think about this. If indeed 250,000 people die a day around this world, that means that tonight, 187,500 people will spend their first night in hell. It's pretty staggering. They say that, 50, that, that, that by the time every year ends, that there are 50 million more lost people in the world than when the year began. We now live in a planet, on a planet and in a world that has a population, they say, of seven and a half billion people. I've done some studies from uh, missiologists and missionaries and even some of the statistics from our denomination, the Church of God. And of those seven and a half billion people, they tell us that 2.9 billion of them have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. They tell us that two-thirds of those seven and a half billion people do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Today in this world, they say there are 16,000 different people groups that make up this world. It means they have the same language, they have the same traditions, they occupy the same place, the tribe, the culture. And of those 16,000 people groups, they tell us that 7,000 of them are unreached people groups. To be classified as an unreached people group, that means that less than 2% of your population has ever heard the name of Jesus Christ. I'd say that lostness is a problem today in our world. Now stay with me. Let me plow for a moment. Sometime back I was reading some things about lost people. And this, this floored me. And I don't know where they got their numbers and how they calculated it, but let's, let's just assume that they were right. And they said that if all the lost people, the unsaved people in the world, were to line up single file at your front door, they said that that line would reach around the world 30 times. 
And what's worse, they say that that line grows at a rate of 20 miles per day. The statistic went on to say, and the figure went on to say, that if you were to get in your vehicle and drive 50 miles per hour at 10 hours a day, it would take you four years and 45 days to reach the end of the line. And by the time that you got to the end of the line, it would have grown to 30,000 miles long. And just think, all of that begins at your front door. Here's the point. We don't have to leave for the Turpin American soil to go find lost people. Now, there are tribes and there are unreached people groups all over this world that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And here's the sad thing. We have so many people in America that have heard the name of Jesus Christ multiple times, and they continue to reject Him and to say no to Him. What a tragedy that it would be for us to lose one of our sons or our daughters somewhere and make no effort to go and to find them and to to bring them back. First and foremost, you have to know this. Jesus came to this world for lost people. And secondly, Jesus made certain that every lost man and every lost woman would have a way to Him. And that way that He made for them was through the cross of Calvary. Jesus came for lost people. Now here's the truth. You and I are going to spend eternity in one of two places. Either we're going to spend eternity in a place called heaven with Christ forever, or we're going to be alienated from Christ. We're going to live forever in eternal damnation in a place called hell. Now they say that you can tell a lot about what's important to people and what matters to people based on what they talk about. If you hang around somebody long enough, eventually their verbiage and their topic of conversation will reveal what really matters to them, what's important to them, what they like, what they don't like. Jesus talked a lot about lost people. He talked a lot in Scripture about lost things. As a matter of fact, he devoted an entire chapter in Luke 15 where he talked about lost people. Why don't you consider with me just for a moment this chapter. Jesus has been teaching and preaching. And as he continues to teach and to preach, the Bible tells us in Luke 15 that the tax collectors and the sinners, well, that's quite a crowd, isn't it? Sinners is a, it's a wide range. That covers about anything. Tax collectors in that day were dishonest, and they schemed to get as much money as they possibly could. They were the IRS of the day. And I'm not certain that even in today's world we could put the IRS with sinners. I don't know. Maybe. April 15th comes awfully quick every year. And the crowd there that day, the Bible said that the tax collectors and the sinners, you know what? Most of the time we find Jesus, Brother Kenny Hancock, in Scripture hanging out with those kind of people. He didn't hang out with church people a lot. Now, he hung out with his 12 disciples, but every time, a lot of times in Scripture, he hung out with those kind of people. 
But he showed up at a well one day in John chapter 4 and talked to, uh, to a lady who'd been married five times and was living with a guy who wasn't even her husband. In John 8, we find him hanging out with a woman caught in the very act of adultery. In Luke 19, he's hanging out with Zacchaeus. That's the kind of people he hung around. But watch what the Bible says. It says the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him. He didn't keep them at a distance. He didn't keep them at an arm's length. He didn't say, no, I can't be around you and be near you. But they drew near to him. Notice the closeness of the crowd that day. That's the kind of people Jesus hangs out with. But you know what we do in the church? Oh, I'm going to be mean. I can already feel it. Somebody walks in doesn't quite look like us and smell like us and act like us and talk like us. We got some folks, I'm not saying folks at this church, I haven't experienced it, but I've been around some places that say, well, what are they doing here? Well, we're supposed to be a hospital for the hurting, I thought. Oh, I'm going to preach here in a minute. I was youth pastoring. You're my first place ever youth pastor back at Nortonsville 20, 20 years ago. And we started, these neighborhood kids started coming. And they were bad kids. They smelled horrible. They talked horrible. Surprise, they acted like they were unchurched. And where did they show up? In our church. Now, we, listen, Norton, if you've never been there, go to the end of the earth and turn right. I'm not kidding. There's nothing there. There's no lines on the road. There's, you have to drive 25 minutes to Charlottesville to get anything. We're driving home one night from church, a church function. There's a cop in the road, and he's got a flashlight, and he stops us. He says, I need you folks to be careful tonight. We've got some cows that have busted loose. You might be in the country if a deputy stops you and says, There's so these kids start coming. I'm not kidding. They, they reeked. They smelled really bad. They hadn't bathed, and they'd cuss in church. Now, some, we, had a lot of, we had some older people there. They got really offended when those kids would start using some swear words. I, I kind of thought it was comical when the old folks were like, you hear what they said. And I said, just, you relax just a little bit. So here's what they said. This is, what are they doing here? Why are they talking like that? And we walked through the, the breezeway one night. And I mean, it, it smelled like somebody had just used the bathroom. I said, you smell that? And they said, we smell. I said, you know what that is? What? I said, that's the harvest. That's what it smells like. Here's the problem today. Church folks, we, we sing about it, shout about it, talk about it, but when we really start getting some folks like that crowd that hung with Jesus, some folks don't like that. But listen, that's what the church is for. Church is not for you. It's not for me. It's for hurting, lost, broken people that are looking for direction. God help the church to get back to what matters. Oh, I feel like preaching right here. The crowd and the closest, and here's the complaint. You had scribes and Pharisees, a bunch of religious people. Oh, they gave alms of everything. They did all they were supposed to do. They tithed. They wore the long robes. They came to the temple. They did everything they were supposed to do. They had a religious spirit. They didn't have a relationship. They had religion. You know what religion does? Religion looks down its nose at lost people. But people that have a relationship with Christ, they let them all come and sit with me, and I'll befriend them, and I'll love on them because I want them to know about the love of Jesus. Half of you will be mad the time you get to lunch today. And they said, 
They started whispering, he, he receives tax collectors. He receives sinners. Well, what's he doing? Jesus heard them, obviously. Uh, he heard them, but had, if, if he hadn't heard them, he knew they were already talking about it because he's all-knowing. So he says, let me just tell you a few stories. And he goes into this parable, three different parables of three lost things. And he says, listen, there was a man, he was a shepherd, and he had 100 sheep, and one got lost. He said he left those 99 sheep in the wilderness, and he went to find that one little lost lamb. And when he found him, he picked him up, and he put him on his shoulders. And he brought him back, and he said, rejoice with me. This lamb of mine, this sheep of mine was lost, but now he has been found. And Jesus said that, that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes home. They rejoice more over one sinner than they do 99 just people who are not lost. Well, that wasn't up, Jesus. Let me tell you another story. There was this lady who had this silver coin. It was her inheritance. She lost it. And she was frantic, and she... She lit a lamp, and she swept the house, and she searched carefully for it. And when she found it, she went to her neighbors, and she said, I found my coin. Rejoice with me over this lost coin. And Jesus said that there is rejoicing amongst the angels of heaven when just one sinner comes home. You know when heaven, rejo you know when heaven breaks out in a party? They don't break out in a party when we have good church services. They don't break out in a party when we break tithe records. Oh, I'm not getting no help. That's okay. They don't break out in a party when we have big numbers in the Virginia, the state paper. They don't break out in a party over that. They don't break out in a party when somebody runs the aisles. I don't even think they break out in a party when somebody gives a message in tongues with the gifts of the Spirit. But I tell you, one, only one place I read that all of heaven breaks out a party. They put on the hats. They start celebrating and having the time of their life. When? When one sinner bows their knee and surrenders their heart, it would do the church good if we'd get excited again over lost men and over lost women. And we'd celebrate when somebody comes home and finds the Lord. See, shouldn't have taken off last week. And there's celebration. And lost people are more than a number. They're more than a statistic. They're a soul. I'm going to say it again. Jesus, first and foremost, came for one reason and one reason only. He came to reach lost people. He came to find lost people. He came to bring people into a relationship with him. I'll tell you this story. March the 30th, 1981. President Ronald Reagan is 69 days into his presidency. He's just finished giving a speech at the Washington Hilton. When he and his entourage walk out of that hotel to make their way back to the White House, six shots are fired from a blue steel revolver. Holding that revolver is a deranged, psychotic, sick individual by the name of John Hinckley, Jr. One of those bullets hits White House Press Secretary James Brady in the head. Another one of those bullets hits a D.C. police officer, Thomas Delante, in the neck. Another bullet hits a Secret Service agent, Timothy McCarthy, and then one of those bullets does indeed find its intended target, President Reagan, lodging in his lung just an inch from his heart.
Now, there is this part of us that is called the auditory cortex. And they tell us that when a gunshot registers in that part of our brain, that our natural inclination and our first reaction is to take cover. But secret service agents are taught to do exactly the opposite. And when Agent Timothy McCarthy heard that gunshot, they said that he went into what they call a spread eagle position, making himself the largest target possible. And in doing so, when he did that, he took a bullet in his abdomen that was more than likely going to have hit our president. He's one of only four Secret Service agents to ever take a bullet while in the line of duty. And when he spread himself out like that, he took the bullet that more than likely would have taken the president's life. They say that had he not gone in to that spread eagle position, that President Reagan would have more than likely lost his life. 2,000 years ago, Jesus went into a spread eagle position. I'm about to have church all by myself right here. Jesus went into a spread eagle position. When they stretched him wide and they hung him high on a hill called Calvary on an old, rugged, splintered wooden cross. And at any moment, Jesus could have bailed and called for angelic backup that in just a moment of time could have rescued him and taken him off the cross. But instead of calling for the angelic backup, Jesus, the Creator, put himself at the mercy of creation. Why? So that he could become the target for our sin and he could take the bullet for us. And I want you to know today that every lost man, every lost woman, every lost boy, and every lost girl has a way that they can make it home and spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the cross. When he hung and he suffered and he died and he bled, that should have been you and that should have been me. But Jesus went spread eagle on that cross and he took my place and and he took your place and he took the nails that should have been my nails and he took the beating that should have been my beating and he took the crown of thorns that should have been your crown of thorns and that's why men and women don't have to die and go to hell you and I mean the cross to the Lord Jesus Christ hallelujah it's been said that talk is cheap Jesus didn't just talk about lost people. Jesus didn't just give us good verbiage and good words about lost people, but Jesus showed the way for lost people. He hung on a cross. He defeated death. He conquered the grave. The cross proves just how much that you and I mean to Jesus Christ.
A songwriter wrote it like this. It's been said with pretty flowers and shining diamond rings. A band of gold, a string of pearls, a million different things. But to find a greater token of love, I'm at a loss. These treasures rare cannot compare to the old rugged cross. I'm dying to tell you, I love you. Dying to bring you life anew. I want to show you what grace can do, the songwriter said. I'm dying to tell you that I love you. Jesus died to tell you that he loves you. Jesus hung on a cross to tell you he loves you. Jesus died to make a way so that we don't have to stay in a lost state. I want to close with this scene from Scripture. I'm going to take us back to Calvary's Hill. Jesus is positioned on the cross in the middle. You got a thief on the left and a thief on the right. Two men guilty as charged with every crime that had been committed, but a perfect Savior right in the middle who wasn't guilty of anything. If you read the story of the crucifixion and you read all of the scene that unfolds that day, you'll know that at some point, at one point during that time as Jesus hung on the cross, both thieves, the Bible said, railed on him and mocked him and ridiculed him. But at some point, one of those thieves changed his mind and said to the Lord, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But it's the other thief. The other thief who looked at Jesus and said, if you really are the Christ, the Bible said he, he mocked him. If you really are the Christ, why don't you prove it? And why don't you save yourself? Why don't you save us too if you really are who you say you are? His partner in crime, his cohort, who had seen the light and would cry right after that one thief said, prove that you're the Christ. He would look over and say, Lord, remember me. But he, he looks at his partner in crime, I guess kind of leans up a little bit and says, don't you have any fear of God? Don't you understand that this man has done nothing wrong, but you and I receive the just reward of our deeds. We're getting what we deserve. And right after he said that, he looked at Jesus and said, Lord, he called him Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. But it's this other thief. This other thief that had the same opportunity that the other thief had to say, Lord, remember me. The same opportunity, the same Lord, the same place, the same setting. One chose to cry out and say, Lord, remember me. And the other said, if you really are the Christ, and mocked him. So why don't you save yourself and save us too? That thief had an opportunity to go the right way and to get on the right road and head in the right direction. But here's what happened. He, he denied his status as a lost person. He didn't really think that he needed the Lord. If you really are who you say you are, why don't you save yourself and save us? Just a mockery of the Lord. He denied his status as a lost person. He, he needed Jesus more than he realized. But his disdain and his mockery of the Lord says to me, he denied the fact that he really was as lost as he thought he might have been. 
He denied his status. Here's the second thing. He discounted the Lord's power. Jesus had all the power in the world to save that man's soul, not get him off the cross, but to save his soul for eternity. But his words say, I don't believe you're able. His mockery, his condescending tone, if you read the Scripture, says, you don't have the power, you can't save me. Here's a third thing that happened. He died in a lost state. He didn't have to, but he chose to.